welcome to Parkinson's Life, the award-winning podcast offering a voice to the global Parkinson's community. Each episode, we bring together people impacted by the condition for an honest conversation to share their stories, perspectives, and ideas on how to live well with Parkinson's. In this episode, we find out what it's like to manage daily life with an apomorphine pump. Apomorphine is a type of liquid dopamine agonist that is primarily used to treat people living with a more advanced stage of Parkinson's. UK-based Bob Taylor explains how the treatment has helped him adjust to his rollercoaster journey with the condition since he was diagnosed more than two decades ago. Joining him is Liz Taylor, his wife, who has supported him as a caregiver throughout his experience. They talked to Dr. Tovi Henriksen, a neurologist from Denmark, who says that in 30 years of treating people with Parkinson's, she has never grown tired of her work. Together, our three guests explore the challenges and potential benefits of using an apomorphine pump. This episode was funded by Convitec, a global medical technologies company focused on therapies for the management of chronic conditions. Hi, I'm Bob. I was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 1998, at the age of 43, and it's been quite a roller coaster of a journey. Hi, I'm Liz. I'm married to Bob and his roller coaster of a journey. I've joined him on and we're still here telling the tale and living with it comfortably. Bob has the apomorphine, which helps and all seems to be okay. And hello, my name is Torbe Henriksen and I'm a neurologist specialised in movement disorders. I'm based at the University Hospital of Bispebjerg, Copenhagen, Denmark and I've been engaged in treating patients with what we call advanced Parkinson's for a number of years. I started treating patients with Parkinson's for about 30 years. We're treating patients with deep brain stimulation and uh, LCIG, that is liver dopa given uh, in a PEC tube, and apomorphine uh, pump treatment as well. To be honest, I've never been tired of it since because there are so many faces of Parkinson's disease. I became aware of a lack of dexterity in one hand and a lack of mobility in the other. And I went into hospital and had a, a small operation and the staff nurse there spoke to my wife and said she thought there was something seriously wrong with me and I should go and see a neurologist. So I went to the GP and they said, come back in a month's time. Anyway, I finally got to see my GP and he sent me to a neurologist and he looked me over. He said he thought I had a Parkinsonism and I was numb, numbed by that. And I didn't really hear much of the conversation afterwards. So it came as a bit of a shock. And the first thing you want to do is put a name to the condition you've got. So what kind of treatment did you start out with? I started on selegiline and after a couple of years, the neurologist wanted me to try Rapinarol and I didn't get on with it and it shut me down. And in fairness to my wife, I had another go and I went 10 days taking it. And I was slowing down all the more. And the last time I went to take it, it took me an hour to not put a pair of socks on. Yeah, so I went to an awareness day 
one of our local hospitals and I read a magazine there and there was a, a husband and wife team who were looking into helicobacter in the gut being the start of Parkinson's. They took me on and for about the next five or six years I was under their wing and all was reasonably well until... I became over-medicated. I'll just jump in there to give Bob a little bit of a rest from, from speaking. The over-medication caused unwanted side effects, really, and it was quite an unpleasant experience, and it resulted in Bob having to be in um, a clinic for a few weeks just where he could be treated and sort of get the drug out of his system, basically. It had introduced, I think it was called medication in induced sort of schizophrenia type symptoms. So he was having hallucinations and problems with actually seeing what was real and what was actually attributed to the drugs, basically. After that time, the doctors who were on the research program found that they could no longer treat us successfully because his Parkinson's had moved on and they no longer felt that it was right for Bob to be their patient because they they couldn't sort of further his treatment within the realms of what they were researching. Tova, can you explain what epimorphine does? Well, epimorphine is seen as uh, as potent as levodopa. Often levodopa is mentioned as the golden standard uh, for treatment of Parkinson's disease, but epimorphine is equally potent as uh, levodopa. It is a dopamine agonist. That is, it is uh, stimulating the dopamine receptors. Unfortunately, it can't be given orally because it will be degraded in the liver when it's, it's passing through. So it has to be given in other ways. And the way that it's been used today is subcutaneously. One of the advantages of epimorphine is that it kicks in relatively quickly. Uh, so it can be given as a rescue medication uh, where a bolus is uh, injected into the uh, subcutaneous fat and it will kick in within uh, five to seven minutes. But it can also be given uh, continuously with an apomorphine pump or just a pump. And the main advantage with that is to diminish the motor fluctuations, that is the on-off phenomena with hyperkinesias that you may have experienced. So in that way, you can reduce the number of pills and the number of medications that would be necessary throughout the day. Bob, you, you are treated with apomorphine, right? When Bob first started with the um, apomorphine pump, it, it was primarily because he was taking so much medication and having such severe offs and, and ons, you know, that it was really difficult to get a, a quality of life together and, and actually achieve anything on a daily basis. So the pump has, has really ironed out if you like, so many things and enabled Bob to carry on without these violent offs and ons. Can you handle the pump yourself, uh, Bob, or do you need help from your wife? No, I do it all on my own. It's a military operation in the mornings. Priming the pump, just having enough time for a shower, 
and then putting the pump up in the day. It doesn't take very long, though. I do watch it carefully, and there are times when I initially I did did it all the time because Bob was very nervous of it, and now it's like a second nature to him. He's really quick at it. It seems to always go really well. So you use the apomorphin with a portable pump, and you have a syringe with the apomorphin, and then a line connected to a needle that is inserted in the abdominal skin, or where do you use the needle? Basically, I've got six places I use. I just rotate them. They're all around my waist. Have you had problems with the skin? Occasionally, I've had nodules. I used to put the needles in over my shoulders and the backs of my arms. It was getting a bit confusing. I mean, 20-odd sites, sorting out one of those puzzles. Where the line goes, if you've got it in your arm, you've got to be careful of your clothing and how you've got it. Whereas if it's in your abdomen, um, it's got like a, a little runner's belt that the pump sits in. And and then it, it it doesn't all get tied up and in, in the way too much. So Bob has found it simpler to have it mainly in that area. We have had friends that used it in their legs, but it didn't work for Bob. He did try that. And with nodules, we mean a formation of a depot of apomorphine. So it's just like a small knot. Usually they're not painful, but they can be. And if they are, certainly the neurologist should hear about it because in rare cases, they can develop an infection and it should be treated as such. So you you prime the, the pump in the morning. That is, you fill the, the line with apomorphine. Do you use bolus throughout the day? Yes, when I need it. It can quite often be in the afternoon. So you get a bit of a slump. But in the main, the dosage of I'm on at the moment. It's been the same for about four years. In the beginning, the, the apomorphine was something that was sort of definitely alien to us and it was something that was much feared really because the thought of putting a needle into yourself, obviously when when you do it on a daily basis, you, you realise that there's not much to fear. When you've never done it before, it, it suddenly seems quite um, a daunting aspect really. So we had lots of little issues around that, wondering how we, we would cope with it. And and Bob wasn't too keen on, on even trying it, so not trying the apomorphine, but trying to put a needle in, in himself. And you can put your own obstacles in your way and you can find that um, you actually dislike what you're doing to yourself very much. But then once you overcome that, which doesn't take very long, you you realise that it's just a a tiny pinprick, really, although I I don't experience it. Bob never flinches when he does it now. And the awkward things about it is, say, if it's really hot in the summer months and everything, sometimes the needle can just eject itself. And it doesn't happen often, but if you get really hot and sweaty or anything, then then that has happened on a number of occasions. And initially it was tended to lead to a bit of a panic, really, because you're sort of distracted um, from the medication that you thought you needed terribly. But if that happens, you it doesn't take long and, and you're back on track just to get another line in and change the needle and everything. Um, we now carry needles around with us everywhere, which we never thought we'd be 
so comfortable with, but I've got them in all my handbags. Bob's got them in all his coat pockets and it just is a bit like a comforter really, like a dummy to a baby. You just know that you're okay if anything happens. Tove, I've got a question for you. I have heard it said that um, apomorphine is largely addictive and can cause hyperactivity and also sort of addictions, if you like. You know, like if somebody is likely to be anxious, then the apomorphine could make them more anxious. Well, we know that all dopamine agonists have a tendency to give what we call impulse control problems, that you can have a predisposition to exaggerate something that is nice. Uh, Some can have hypersexuality, some can eat too much candy. And there has been a worry that uh, epimorphine could have this as well, and that is the case. But studies have shown that uh, if you give it continuously, as is the case when you use epimorphine pump, probably the risk of this is reduced compared to when it's given in a pulsatile manner. So we've got one study looking into this, and it showed that the risk of impulse control problem was not higher in the patients treated with epimorphine compared to the ones who were treated with standard treatment of uh, care. But the risk is there, and uh, I have seen patients who who were addicted to epimorphine. I think the, the risk is very low. And one of the patients I met was actually from the UK, and I, I met her, and, and she talked about the, the problem. I've had one patient in my outpatient clinic as well. And when it happens, I think it's very important that the neurologist hears about it because I think there is a possibility that you can reduce the overuse of aphomorphine. You're listening to the Parkinson's Life podcast with Bob, Liz and Tovey, funded by Convertech. Be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform to hear more from the series. Have you had a deep brain stimulation, Bob? Yes, I have. I did in 2013. So why were you treated with uh, epimorphine after the, the uh, deep brain stimulation? I was taking epimorphine before I had deep brain stimulation. And after I greatly reduced the epimorphine. It was hoped that the deep brain stimulation may alleviate the need for apomorphine. Bob was not too keen to go for the DBS to start with, so he had the apo pump. And then after a few years, the neurologist we saw always thought that he would be a good candidate and had often said to him he should consider it, but he just wasn't ready. So once he decided to have the DBS... It was hoped that the pump and the apomorphine wouldn't be needed afterwards, but unfortunately that hasn't been the case. So are you treated with tablets as well? Yes, and I also have a patch. And the the patch, is that reticotine for the night time? Yes. So you've never discussed using the apomorphine pump during the night time? No, I did have a spate of nosebleeds, and it was thought that Epimorphine had lowered my blood pressure. Epimorphine was increased over time, and I was on two syringes a day. 
and this led to having terrible cramps in the middle of the night. I had to give myself an injection and lay on the floor for a couple of hours in the middle of the night. I've had patients with that problem as well, and in that case, we usually suggest uh, that the pump is running 24-7, but we usually use a reduced uh, amount of medications throughout the night time. Uh, so if the problems at nighttime uh, with motor offs or offs in general is predominant, then it could be a good idea to give the medication 24 hours a day. What we look for in the outpatient clinic, when I see patients treated with apomorphine pump, I make sure that the, the medication works well, uh, that is the dyskinesias are gone. Uh, I make sure that there are no side effects. And with that, I mean the risk of hallucinations or psychosis, the risk of autostatic hypertension, that is dizziness uh, when you stand up. But I also make sure that there are no nodules at the skin or that the nodules are not bothersome. And to uh, avoid that, we introduce ultrasound treatment at our site from the beginning. Many of the patients do not have the need to continue with ultrasound treatment of the skin, uh, but a, a handful may have this need, but it uh, reduces the risk of problematic uh, noduli. Then we do take uh, blood samples just once or twice a year to make sure that the body doesn't react uh, to the medication. This is a very rare problem. So uh, I've seen it, uh, I think, twice in almost 200 patients. So very rare. When I consider starting apomorphine, will the ideal patient for apomorphine pump treatment would be a patient with dyskinesias and motor offs. Uh, that is uh, fluctuations that cannot be treated by changing the paraoral treatment. This patient could be a good candidate for treating deep brain stimulation as well, but some patients refrain from having brain surgery or are not good candidates due to age or due to comorbidity. And the comorbidity could be some cognitive problems. In that case, epimorphine could be an excellent choice. Can I ask Bob and Liz, which impact the epimorphine pump treatment has in your life? I think it's improved the quality and enabled Bob to carry on sort of doing the things that he really enjoys. He can sort of mainly get through a day without any fluctuations. Um, obviously, times like this, it's stressful. And when any level of stress is given to somebody with Parkinson's, then they, they get anxious and the dyskinesia can be more apparent. So I think it's just been much better all round. You can handle situations and, and everyday life much easier. I get the feeling that the three elements of my care, the apo pump, DBS and the oral medication, kind of make sure I don't I don't have a crash. It's always a small hiccup. 
Tova, what advice would you give to somebody? Because now apomorphine has become second nature to us um, and we're very comfortable with it. We may be capable of forgetting what it was like in the early days and it was something you really didn't like to consider. What, what advice would be yours as a, a neurologist rather than us as patients? As a neurologist, I would say, ask your peers. The Danish Parkinson Association, there are volunteers who have had uh, advanced treatment. And I find it very helpful that patients with Parkinson's disease ask uh, patients who've, who have the, the treatment. Because I, I can only say what it entails when you look at it from the outside. But the patients who are using it, they, they can tell the whole story. But from my perspective, I would say the patient should ask him or herself, is it okay to carry a pump? But on the positive side is usually we can reduce the number of medications with 50% and we can reduce the amount of medication with 50%. The feedback I get from my patient is that that is very helpful because taking medications uh, multiple times a day is quite a challenge. And if you take medication every second hour, it's virtually not possible to avoid having food in the stomach when you take the medication. And that can have a negative impact on the uptake of the medication. So what I convey to my patients uh, would be that they need to uh, see us in the outpatient clinic more regularly than when they would uh, only treated with parallel treatment. But most of our patients actually are very happy for that. They, they like the contact. They should have somebody that can help them with troubleshooting. I think in most countries where uh, pump therapy is available, there is a service where troubleshooters can come home to the patient. If there's a problem with the pump, they can change the pump or uh, other practical problems. But I think it's important to tell the patient how the system works, how epimorphine works, and um, convey to the patient which kind of side effects that could be uh, relevant. Because I really like the idea that the patient is an active partner in making the decision of which treatment the patient should have. For us, we, we live in London, which is um, quite well furnished really with hospitals and Bob is treated by the National Neurological Hospital in, in Queen Square and, and they offer us really good treatment. Uh, so to anybody that might be thinking about the apomorphine, you certainly do have access to anybody that whether you need them medically uh, and through Parkinson's UK, you can speak to an advocate who is actually using the the pump themselves. But we find that if there is anything that's slightly not right, we, we can phone up and get through and talk to the DBS nurses. And also um, the pharmaceutical company here that supply the pump have a, a nurse who comes out and visits us. We've just had a recent visit from them and they she did bring a... Uh, a new type of needle that you can disconnect and say if you wanted to swim. I don't know whether or not you prescribe that in Denmark. Luckily, we've had the, the needle you refer to. We've we've had it for years. So we're, we're only using that needle and um, we're very happy with it. And I we find that the risk of skin problems is reduced 
by using that needle. So we're, we're very happy we've got access to it. It does seem like a great breakthrough. I was going to read a poem that I wrote. It's about my journey with Parkinson's. It's called, Who Are You? We live our lives quite differently, of that I am quite sure. And it depends upon the way we are taught as we mature. We enter life when we are born with a sparkle in our eyes and take each and every form as a wonderful surprise. If you perchance look into a newborn baby's eyes, you may perceive a million stars lighting up the skies. It's as if there is a connection to the universe above that floods us with the innocence of unconditional love and that ever-changing natural force, which may sound quite bizarre, makes that baby part of everything. That's really who you are. State some call nirvana, or others call it bliss, when captured by natural beauty or lost in love's first kiss. This weird time is just a concept where everything just flows. Lost in your favourite music or reading or writing prose. Ancient cultures in their meditation talk of returning home. Nowadays, sportsmen call it focus or being in the zone. No words alone can ever describe the power that you feel. It's up and down or black and white, a constantly moving field. As babies, we would fully feel each emotional state. Moments later, the emotion's gone and no story to relate. It really makes no difference, be it fear or rage or laughter. For once it's been fully expressed, it's gone forever after. Babies are so trusting that they lay on the full import of rules and judgments of our peers without another thought and take on board their values, believing they are true. And never stop to question, are they really true for you? The first one I remember is big boys just don't cry. And all the way right through my life, I've come around that lie. I've choked back all the feelings into bottles of tears. Some of them I've carried around for over 60 years. My sparkling eyes further hidden by each and every issue. So much easier in hindsight if I'd have used a tissue. They say that life is like a mirror shining back at you. So whatever you see or focus on, you see and believe is true. Life is not a destination that you travel to. It's where you are on the path. So just enjoy the view. Life is about relationships, romance and being true. But first of all, you must be in love and comfortable with you. The key to life is gratitude. It's a door to happiness. Be thankful for the little things and you will see the best. Heaven and hell are both in now. It, it depends on where you sit. If we only have one life on earth, please make the most of it. Thank you very much for that. It was very beautiful. I'd like to thank both of you, Bob and Liz, for taking the time to talk to me and making me uh, wiser about Parkinson's life. 
and uh, the treatment of Parkinson's disease. Thank you. Thank you all for your time. I hope the content is is very useful to, to people in the future weighing up their journey of, of, of the apple morphine, yeah. Thank you. Some people call me a sufferer, but suffering is a choice and I choose to live. Parkinson's Life magazine is produced by Speak Media on behalf of Parkinson's Europe, the leading voice for Parkinson's in Europe. For the latest research and information on Parkinson's, visit www.parkinsonseurope.org. This episode was sponsored by Convertec, and Toby Henriksen has been paid by Convertec to provide information for this podcast. The information in this podcast is given for information purposes only and is not a substitute for advice from your doctor, pharmacist or other healthcare professional. Opinions expressed within this podcast are those of the individuals and not necessarily representative of Convertec. Thanks for listening to the Parkinson's Life podcast. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review. It helps make sure others can find us. If you'd like to share your story with Parkinson's Life magazine, get in touch through Facebook, Twitter, or by emailing editor at parkinsonslife.eu. Keep a lookout for our next episode, and until then, take care.